You're listening to the Law and Business Podcast, hosted by Anthony Verna. We tackle the difficult questions where business and the law intersect to help you run a smarter business and avoid costly mistakes. Brought to you by Verna Law PC, a full-service law firm focusing on patents, trademarks, copyrights, domain names, and advertising law. For more information, call 914-908-6757 or send an email to anthony at vernalaw.com for more information. Okay, everyone, welcome to the Law and Business Podcast. Anthony Verna here with our patent agent, Will Jakes. How are you doing, Will? Uh, very good, Anthony. How are you this evening? I am doing well, thank you. And hello to our audience as well. Thank you for joining us. And don't forget to uh, subscribe and rate if you're listening on iTunes to the podcast. Today, we're talking about... A more traditional topic, it's the provisional patent versus the full-blown patent application. And we've certainly had people call us and say, I want a provisional patent, which remember, it's a provisional patent application. If right. you're going to let's start there, if you're going to, to use the terminology. Right. And generally, I, I say to somebody, well, why do you want a provisional? And usually the answer is, uh, I don't know. Doesn't everybody get a provisional? <laughs> and the short answer is no. And you need to sort through some, some pros and some cons of the provisional patent application process versus just getting a full-blown patent application. And Will... Uh, yeah. why, why don't we start off with positive check mark or two for the provisional patent application? A positive check mark. For, <laughs> for, well, just as you alluded to, uh, a lot of uh, our clients will come to us and uh, suggest that they want a provisional patent. When in fact, what they're asking for is a provisional application yes. for patent. Which yes. is kind of different. You know, and, you know, the nuances are kind of thin for most of our clients. But just so that you know, there's no such thing as a provisional patent. What there is is a provisional application for the patent. But that provisional is important because if one is not absolutely sure about all of the, let's call it, modes of operation of, of my invention or every little detail of my invention, what I may want to do is to get as broad a coverage and as much disclosure about what my invention is that I have in my possession right now and get that on paper and get that filed because you want to, you know, under... First to file, you want to get that into the office and establish your date. So your timestamp. Okay, so a couple things that you said there. You said a couple things. One, because we're in a first-to-file scheme now, that started in 2013 for everybody out there who didn't know that. Here in the United States, first-to-file, you get to the patent office before anybody else. So number one, a provisional patent, it counts in a first-to-file scheme. So that's one of our positives of that provisional patent application. Absolutely. Is we is. get our filing date. Mm -hmm. And another thing that I want to unpack a little bit is that you said that there's a focus on disclosing the invention in its full detail in the provisional patent application. You can prepare an exceptionally detailed application 
in a provisional patent application without going through the formality they're, they're, they're of, quite, a, of a regular patent application. Yeah, absolutely. There are quite a, a few formalities associated with a uh, regular or what we call non-provisional patent application that are not in uh, provisional uh, uh, patent applications. So one of those things would be the level of detail that one may go into in terms of your full disclosure. It is not necessarily a requirement that you have drawings. Now, it is recommended that one has drawings in order to fully explain what the invention is. Sometimes you don't capture it without the drawings, but these are certain formalities that may not be required in the filing of a provisional, but still afford you the ability to uh, get a timestamp and to get that date. And I'm sure we'll talk about the caveats of why we, you know, some of the cons associated oh, we'll, with we'll, this we'll, as well. We'll get but, to that. Yeah, we'll, we'll get, get to that. that. But certainly that's that's one of the things you want, you want to be aware of. The one that matters the most is that in a provisional, one does not even need to make a claim. And that is, what is it that I claim to be the invention? But don't confuse it with saying it is not what I've disclosed in that application Understood. for the patent. It should be there. And then, you know, as patent practitioners, we can come back later and, and formalize the claims. I don't want to necessarily call this a, a pro or a con, but you still need to make sure as a as a drafter of the patent application that that description of the invention is neither too narrow nor too broad as well. I mean, there still is an art to drafting the provisional patent application mm -hmm. because, and, and tell me if I'm wrong, if it's too narrow, converting it to a full patent application is going to be different mm -hmm. and uh, difficult, excuse me. And if it's too broad, then maybe the, uh, the examining attorney might not give you the filing date of the provisional application. Yeah, I mean, there it's it's a fine line and to some degree as to what has actually been disclosed. It's, it's typically not to the letter. It may, I hate to use the term inference because we have to disclose fully and concisely yes. and clearly Understood. what our inventions are. But having said that, a molecule that has one spinning atom uh, <laughs> may be representative of a molecule that has multiple spinning atoms in, in a region, you know, okay. and still you've disclosed the invention. However, there may be other claims to be made to capture all of the, the different elements of your invention as you write those claims. But you have dis done your job of disclosing that. What you may not have done is disclose the best mode of your invention, which is a requirement for your non-provisional and not a requirement for your uh, provisional patent application. Understood. So I call that a positive, but I just wanted to say there still is an art to the provisional patent application. Uh, yes. yes. Okay. So with the fact that, that there are less formal requirements mm -hmm. to the provisional patent application. I'm assuming the cost of a provisional patent application is going to be less mm -hmm. than the cost in fees mm -hmm. of a full 
uh, non-provisional patent application. Yeah. And, and then is that true for the Patent and Trademark Office filing fees? Oh, uh, yes. Okay. I just wanted to make the distinction between the fees. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it, it depends on the approach of your practitioner. You know, at uh, Verna Law, we try to be as detailed as possible up front. And so the cost of your, of your provisional application, depending on the budget of our client, could get to close to what it would be in a regular filed application. But that provisional has been p- prepared to the extent, right. and I'll use your term, that it could be converted. Now, it's not recommended to convert. It's it's recommended to, Re- you know, redraft, to really. actually redraft yeah. your non-provisional and claim benefit. But you could save 50% or so, you know, let's just throw out a round number on your drafting fees because of the the less formal requirements, uh, less attention to too much detail. As far as the USPTO is concerned, your fees are much less as well. And most of that has to do with the fact that it is not examined. Generally speaking, your, your provisional application for patent is not examined by the USPTO. Now, you said, just said generally speaking. <laughs> the Patent and Trademark Office yeah. will not examine a provisional patent application. Can you name an exception or yeah, two? Yeah. In, let's say in your, in your regular uh, patent uh, application, what we call the non-provisional patent application, you have made a, uh, a claim for the benefit, a written statement in your non-provisional application claiming benefit of the priority date or the filing date of that provisional patent application. Then, again, it is still not examined per se, but the provisional patent application does become available for the public to see. And so whether it's examined or not, if the invention is there, we've timestamped it, something's going to get examined. But I think what our real concern is, is whether or not it's still, uh, quote unquote, held in, in, in confidence between the inventor and the patent office. Does that confidence ever, ever go away? Is the provisional patent application ever published? No, it is not published, but there is access made to it. So typically after you file a regular patent application, 18 months after your priority date, that application is published. So it is made uh, public. Uh, They don't necessarily publish your provisional application, but one has access to it through the files based on the fact that your regular patent application has been published and you can see the number, therefore you have access to that provisional. I think that's an important distinction to make because I think a lot of people go into this process saying, well, I can file the provisional patent application and nobody's ever going to find it. Well, the other thing, and that's a true statement, let me say that first. But one thing that we tend not to think about a lot of our inventors, more independent, some of the smaller mm-hmm. inventors, they come in. But 
they do see a need to want to file internationally. And so provisional applications for patents is strictly a U.S. function. It, is, it does not work the same way uh, around the world. But because of our bars, let's call it, to, to patentability, one is given a certain amount of time in order to file your application in light of certain other activities. And we've talked about those on other shows. But in terms of having your foreign patenting rights preserved, you have to file within 12 months of your national filing in another country. So if you file in the United States within 12 months, you have to file that invention in the uh, most foreign countries. Right. Okay. And, and you need to check with your patent practitioner, your patent attorney in other jurisdictions to see how it's calculated. Absolutely. Because frankly... <laughs> it's despite the treaties, it is different in every country. So how Canada treats your U.S. provisional patent application is different than how France is going to treat it. And it's different than how Japan is going to treat it. And it's different than how Korea is going to treat it. You, you just need to check with your practitioner in that jurisdiction. Yeah, yeah. yeah you know, what we've done you know, with our provisional uh, patent applications is we've provided an additional year of uh, quote-unquote patent protection to to those filing in the U.S. Hey, hey that's that's you another that's that is another pro that is another positive that's check mark yeah, that's a pro. for so now instead <laughs> of 20 years you got 21, 21 years of let's call it quote unquote patent protection <laughs> however because of that particular benefit you do not get that in our foreign jurisdictions and so the clock starts running at the point you file that provisional patent application so i'd say one of the negative check marks for the provisional patent application is that if you're going internationally, you need to make sure you understand your timing mm -hmm. with counsel mm -hmm. in each jurisdiction that you plan to, that, file, that you plan to file in right. because they're going to calculate that provisional filing date differently. Right. And so, so you need to make sure that you understand this. So I'm going to say that that's a negative check mark. That is, a, I hate to say pros and cons, because boy, what a phrase. But anyway, yeah. that's... <laughs> but it works. People understand it. I know, I know. Yeah. If we're filing a provisional patent application, I understand that the, that the initial cost feels low. Mm-hmm. But in reality, isn't it going to be higher because it's almost as if the inventor needs to pay twice because you're going to be paying a second USPTO filing fee. You're going to be paying your attorney or a practitioner multiple times because now you're going you're going to turn that provisional application into a non-provisional application for the extra year of work or extra year of protection. Mm -hmm. It doesn't seem like there's a whole lot of benefit there with the number of extra fees that the inventor has it, to pay. It, it, it truly depends. Let's take a look at, at the current environment. Maybe we even step back 20, 25 years ago when everything was a sensor. So all manner of MEMS and sensors were being filed. 
Okay. You know, it, it may be to use Stephen Johnson's term of the primordial soup, right? We're talking <laughs> about the minds getting together and inventions just kind of flying off the wall. And funny that calculus was, quote unquote, invented at the same time by two different people. True. But they hung together. And so the language was there. Having said that, this what happened during the censors and mems period is happening today, let's say, in A.I., or in crypto uh, currencies, and that's a whole nother matter as to whether or not they're patentable. <laughs> but these are uh, right about now. The environment is these are the types of patents that are being filed all around the world, and particularly at, mm-hmm. at the USPTO. And so when the I have an idea person comes, or the inventor comes to us. It may be that they're in an environment that is moving very quickly and they need to get something filed on the books now in order to at least attempt to preserve their patentability position within this environment of my buddy at the University of Pennsylvania is working in the same area and I know they're going to be filing. And that brings up the the next point, which is... If I'm filing, that's just timing. Sure, sure. But that brings up my my next thought. If an inventor is filing Mm -hmm. a provisional patent application, that provisional patent application, as we said uh, several times, it has some kind of description of the invention. Yes, it does. Um, And and even if it's a quick and dirty Mm -hmm. description of the invention, the the way you were just talking about it, because hurry up, get it filed, Mm because we have to get something on, Mm -hmm. you know, on the books. It's it's not truly protection for the invention until this entire process is formalized anyway into a non-provisional patent. Into a non-provisional patent which sets forth the claims, right? Yeah. And so imagine that a lot of work on the side of the inventor may have been performed. And, and again, we, we, we recommend you sit down with your, your patent uh, practitioner to make a clear determination of this, but an inventor comes and they've done a white paper and they have experimental results and they can show tables and they can show other aspects of how the invention is working. They may even have photographs of of the invention, maybe, you know, something that could at least not be a formalized drawing, but it could be a picture that kind of shows shows the invention. Those things, without going into a lot of formality, could be the basis of your provisional, which is why they're so inexpensive, because if time is the issue, then these things can kind of be put together and filed. In other cases, you may not want to do that, but it, it depends. So if somebody is picking up the phone, mm-hmm. calling their practitioner and saying, I want a provisional and I'm going to be stubborn about wanting a provisional right now. Mm-hmm. What's your advice for the right case for filing that provisional application? I need to get it done yesterday. <laughs> it is, it is, it, in my mind, it is the only reason to file the provisional because one understands that it takes a, a little time to formulate and get a, a patent application drafted properly. Uh, there's a fair amount of back and forth that actually recommend and should happen between the patent practitioner and the inventor. For instance, I've seen patent uh, uh, patents 
let's just say, and applications that have been from inventors, and it's been, I'll use the term, elegant. But in that environment of being elegant, it kind of missed the fringes of where the invention could have gone. In other words, they wanted to be too perfect about what it is they had discovered, and they left and ignored the broader impact of what their invention is in such a way that they could have captured more. These are the things that come from sitting down and questioning and taking consideration of the invention. What if you don't have that time, i.e. we're in the AI environment and you think that there are people who are getting close to what you're doing? Then let's get the uh, clock stamped and let's just get something filed. Why am I not just, why are we not just doing that for everybody? Because this way you get that, you, you get that filing date. Because one is still has the requirement of having made a disclosure. <laughs> <laughs> a disclosure of the invention. And in order to properly construct claims, it, the specification or what we'll just refer to the entire application as the disclosure, which could or may or may not include drawings, but it has to have fully described what it is that your invention does, what it's made of, how it works, it, it needs to be there. There are some websites that say the provisional patent application is a really good idea if you need to tell investors mm -hmm. that you've got something filed and this way the provisional is filed, you can say patent pending and this is a good way to talk to investors. I know you've got practical business experience in this, Will, yes, not, not, not just drafting patents experience. What's your experience with that set of facts? Well, it used to be a lot easier, <laughs> well, let's yes. say, 20 no. years ago to do that <laughs> than it is to do that today. Now, uh, you and I both know that, that angel <laughs> money and, and VC money isn't what it used to be. Now, we both know that. But at least an inventor can say, well, the patent is pending. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I didn't tell you that I didn't write any claims, but <laughs> yeah, the patent's yeah. pending, <laughs> Mr. Investor. Yeah, well, we can certainly talk about uh, adventure. <laughs> but that, that's another show in itself as well. But let, let's say this. There is a colleague of mine always used the term smart money and dumb money. And there was a little bit more dumb money, at least with respect to reviewing the statement, I have patents, or I have filed for patents. These days, it is, well, okay, but to some degree, investors will want to know, what is it that you filed? And so what becomes important is, let's say you come, you want to get the provisional filed so you can have something inexpensive so that you can run to the nearest bank of crowdfunding or other folks and say, yeah, I have a patent filed. Or, you know, maybe you wind up on that tank show, you know, <laughs> and you say, I got a patent file. Well, as a patent professional, the first thing I look at is, well, what have you filed? Have you made a sufficient disclosure of the invention and something that's going to protect what it is we're trying to sell and prevent others from doing it, right? Because you can't go back and add new matter after the fact. Oh, sure. And, and I was at a at a startup convention a couple of years ago. I, I don't. I, I'm sure we've talked about this story uh, privately, but. 
person, owner of the company comes up to me and says, well, yeah, I have a patent. I picked up the phone. I called the patent and trademark office. I got an appointment with with the uh, attorney at the USPTO and I explained the invention and then somebody started infringing. Then I went to a lawyer and the, and the patent lawyer said, sorry, the, the, the claims are so narrowly drafted that this other company is making a version of your invention that is not described in your patent and therefore there's no infringement. So I, I get, and I know that you get that the embodiment is truly important, and especially when you're dealing with a full non-provisional patent. Mm -hmm. All examples to show what we call enablement. And so those yes. are what the embodiments do. Those are what the best mode is intended to do, is to say that I really have command of, I really know what my invention is, and to be able to describe that in a way that someone who is, as we use the term, skilled in the art, one who understands this techno technological space would be able to say, yeah, I get that. And that really, really does work. Now, again, if, as we've said in previous shows, it doesn't really matter in some respects that you have a patent if that piece of the patent world doesn't provide you or provide your, your, your market with something substantial in terms of, of value. And the best way to think of it when, when we have our inventors come in is to say a patent doesn't give you a right to sell anything. That's true. It gives you a right to restrict others. others. And so the mere fact that you may be able to get a patent on something and so you add a new laser clicker to your pen that is not part of other pens, but if there's a pen that is patented that you need to go through in order to sell your product, then you are, let's we say, restricted. You don't have a freedom to operate in that regard. And so, you know, maybe your, your, your patent isn't worth as much as what you thought it was. All right. So to, to wrap up here, Will, I, the provisional, in your opinion, the provisional patent application really is for somebody who needs that filing date right away. And I hate to use this term, but I would also add that there may be other specifics around how one would describe other specifics around the invention that one may want to include in a regular application that you may not have at this point in time. A lot of people, in fact, use the provisionals as a very inexpensive way to be able to go out and see whether or not the invention does have value. So you can file, you can know that you have some protection in place that you can later on come and spend the real money, you know, or a larger sum of money in order to capture that, but you can test it in the market now sure. to see whether or not what you have invented and what you hope to get a patent for that will restrict others, that's a lot, isn't it? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> will in fact have value, but you've done that at a, you've reduced the risk of the amount of money you have to pay up front. And other than that, sit down with your practitioner, go through the details and, 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 and get your claims. Absolutely. Okay. Well, 
Thank you so much for spending another half hour. Well, thanks for the conversation. (laughs) (laughs) All right. And once again, thanks for listening to the Law & Business Podcast. And coming up, we have an episode on cryptocurrency and taxes, as well as taxes and placing your IP in parent, child, brother, sister, (laughs) (laughs) subsidiaries. That sounds like a mind warmer. (laughs) (laughs) Thankfully, I don't do taxes. All right, everyone, please don't forget to rate and uh, subscribe to the Lawn Business Podcast. Thanks very much for being with us. This has been the Lawn Business Podcast. Visit VernaLaw.com for more episodes. To contact Verna Law PC, send an email to anthony at vernalaw.com or call 914-358-6401.